This morning, we have the wonderful privilege of having Ryan Dembeck here to teach. And many of you know Julia Dembeck. She's taught in our Bible studies before. She's written in our Bible studies before and has been a tremendous blessing. She's on our ministry team. And I don't know Ryan. Just started to get to know him a little bit, but I... I feel like I know a little bit about Ryan just because I know Julia and I hear about their family life and let me tell you the things that I hear about their family life bless my heart because these two love Jesus and they want their boys to love Jesus and you just hear that in all their conversations and it's very precious to me so a little tender spot in my heart there Ryan has served as an as an elder at the North Church since 2022, and he's been engaged in various ministries in the church since 2010. He's passionate about discipleship in the church, face-to-face -face and Bible-to-Bible. -Bible. Ryan and Julia just celebrated 13 years of marriage and have three young sons. During the day, Ryan works in human resources at a medical technology company, and he enjoys reading, outdoor adventures, and a good cup of coffee Come on up, Brian, and we'll pray. <laughs> Lord, thank you that you were with us last night and that you are with us this morning. Thank you that you are with Pam and with her dad and her mom and her family. Continue to be with them. Send your spirit mightily into that room where they're gathered. Bring comfort and take Jack home peacefully to rejoice in you even more than he's doing now. Thank you for that gift of worship that you've given him even now. Thank you for Ryan and his heart for you and all his preparation. Be with him now. Send your spirit to channel through him and speak the word that you have for us from your word. Give us tender hearts and ears to hear and minds to understand and eagerness to follow in the things that you teach us. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, Beth. Mm -hmm. It is a joy to be here, and I'm glad Judah gets to accompany me, so there are two males in the building. Uh, it's great. And I'm, I feel like I've been here, I know I was here last night, but I feel like I've been along with you in the journey, because I've been a long-time listener, but first-time caller, since Pam and Beth have done the podcast, I've followed along to the teaching. I've been so encouraged by uh, Pam and the other teachers on opening the text. And I just love that we have a church that values women and men, but women studying the Bible together. Uh, and I get to, when Pam asked me to, if I would be willing to come and speak on Proverbs and kick us off uh, words to the wise, I was just so excited because I get to see you and be with you and share a little bit of what God is showing me and has for us this summer. So thanks for having me. Let's go ahead. Beth just prayed, but I'm going to start with prayer. So if you'll join me in prayer and then we'll continue on our study today. Father, giver of good gifts, including wisdom from above, would you open the eyes of our hearts by the power of your spirit to see and desire your wisdom. May we choose the path of wisdom and give me clarity of speech as I teach. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Beth mentioned that we, Julie and I, we have three sons, and we like to read together as a family. On one of the trips to the library, we picked up 
a book that was near the shelf of the checkout counter. Now, I'm sure that we picked up this book off the counter because it was Star Wars Lego. And that's important to little boys to have Star Wars Lego. But this is a different kind of book, and I've brought it with me here today. It's a choose your path or choose your adventure type of book. Have any of you read a book that like, like this? I see nods and not hands, but I'll take nods. Um, this type of book, there's not a straight through plot. There's not a start and an end. You actually influence the outcomes of the story based on certain decision points throughout the book. And so it takes twists and turns. And for me and my sons, we would come to decision points throughout this book, and I would make a decision, and sometimes the story would be reversed. Now, I've seen the movies, so I should know what the outcomes are, but oftentimes the bad guys still won. The good guys didn't win. And something happened with this book, this type of book. It provided a training ground for decision-making. It discipled me in the way of making good decisions, albeit in the lens of Star Wars, but still, it trained me in how to make those decisions. Now, it also did something that I didn't expect. It showed me a bit of my heart's inclinations. And here's what I mean. Some of these decisions were a choice between bold action or careful planning. Which one do I have inclination towards? Yet other decisions were between peaceful interactions or anger-infused conflict. And based on what I was feeling in that moment, making that decision, we would turn to page eight and find out that was not the right choice of wisdom or good decisions in the lens of Star Wars. The bad guys won. And it got me thinking, what if we had something like this for our life? And then I realized we do. We have the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is our choose your path adventure book for life and godliness. It's a training ground for decisions in our daily lives. And this training ground for decisions in our daily lives, well, let me read what Ray Ortland says. He's a pastor in Nashville, and he says this about Proverbs. We can explore a real-life situation within the virtual reality of a proverb. We can know in advance what is going to fly and what is going to crash. Biblical wisdom tells us what life is really like. So Proverbs shows us the story of life where we travel down a path, and as believers, we know from the law and from scriptures what is good and evil. But if you're like me, daily life is a little bit more complex than just knowing good versus evil. We need a little bit nuance. We need a little bit more instruction in this. We need wisdom, knowledge rightly applied to a specific context. And Proverbs is filled with these. Let me give you two examples from Proverbs 15. 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, and a harsh word, but a harsh word, stirs up anger. So if I'm thinking like a training ground for decisions and godliness, I'm coming up to an interaction, I have some emotions, I can have a soft answer, and that would turn away, turn away further wrath, or I can speak harshly and stir up more anger. Another one, Proverbs 15.22, as an example of this training ground for godliness, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So as we plan big things, a voice of one might have a good idea, but many voices will help plans succeed. So in our journey and our lived experience, we need help 
And these and all the rest of the Proverbs in this book are written for the people of God to guide us moment by moment with this ancient wisdom. And it's endorsed by God himself. Proverbs calibrates not only our internal compass to make good decisions, but it attunes in this miracle our heart's desires to not only wisdom, but to Jesus himself who embodies wisdom. So my aim for us this morning is to encourage us to choose the path of wisdom where we live rightly and treasure Jesus fully. If you like outlines, I'm about to give you the three outlines. They're also in your handout. Three steps, we're going to cover that today. First, we're going to look at the call of wisdom from the opening uh, verses of the book of Proverbs. Second, we'll discuss our story and the paths before us today. And third, we'll talk about what it means to choose the path of wisdom, looking to Jesus today and throughout our study of Proverbs this summer. And this study, as I was reflecting on this, is going to take some intentional effort which I'm grateful for because you're here. That shows me you want to take initial effort. And Proverbs, often in my own experience, was find, flip the pages as a reference book and find that verse and try to apply it to my situation. That isn't entirely wrong. But my encouragement is that for this summer and all the topics coming, you would read, we would read, because I'm going to be listening. We're going to read, observe, comprehend, and then apply this ancient wisdom, these ancient words of wisdom to our lives. And then I hope that we would grow in the fear of God, to grow in Christ-likeness, to find our ultimate joy in him and satisfaction in Jesus alone. So let's start by looking at the call of wisdom. Maybe you've been with us on Sunday mornings where uh, we've been preaching through Proverbs 1 through 9, the more sermonic discourses of wisdom. Even if you have or haven't, I want to lay a foundation to give you the context of the book of Proverbs. So I'm going through like the who, to whom, etc. So who wrote this book? Mostly Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. There are other contributors to this anthology of wisdom, but we regard Solomon as the author as he wrote chapters 1 through 22 and a couple more chapters later on. There's four additional authors, but we mostly attribute this to Solomon. To whom was it written? It was written to royal sons those of the line of David and Solomon who would be rulers of God's people. In Proverbs, they would read this book alongside of the law to train them for ruling God's people in God's place. And we have it today. So that tells me we, we, the children of God, can read this to look to be more wise and more like Jesus. What style was it written in? Verses, chapters 1 through 9 are those parental instructions, like I mentioned, we've been going through in the sermon series. And then start the more, what we think of Proverbs, those short, pithy, memorable sayings in chapters 10 through 21. Those memorable sayings are things like we would say in English, a stitch in time saves nine, or look before you leap, and a penny saved is a penny earned. These are just short little phrases that we say to communicate or teach in wisdom. They're generally true, but you need a specific context to understand and rightly apply them. And we'll look through many of those themes in Scripture for the rest of the summer. And then finally, chapters 30 through 31, we have more sayings in the epilogue, Wisdom Observed, the Wise Wife. So what are some of those central themes? I've mentioned to know how to live as a child of God, to fear the Lord, to rightly apply knowledge of Him in all situations in our lives. And this is personified as Lady Wisdom 
and Lady Folly in those first nine chapters. And the rest of the summer, we're going to be looking at some of the themes from the rest of the summer, looking at what is the path of wisdom and what is the path of folly. We're going to look at desires and emotions, money, speech, friends and relationships, work. No, not work. Marriage. Other themes are like love, work, etc. One of the things that I think about when I think of why is this book in the Bible? Why do we have it today? What would we miss? What would we lose if we took it out? This would be the why of Proverbs and Scriptures. And I would say it's to conform our minds and actions and hearts to conform to the wisdom of God. With that quick background, if you have your Bible or your Bible app or your workbook, turn to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. A few options to get there. And we're going to look at the start of wisdom. And these first seven verses in the book of Proverbs orient us to the entire book. So we're going to start here, and we're going to cover three things. The source of these Proverbs in verse 1, the aim of Proverbs in verses 2 through 6, and then the path. This will be the sap of the book, source, aim, and path. Now, could I have someone, one of you sisters, volunteer to read verse 1 for us, loud and clear? Thank you, sister. This is the source of Proverbs. We've mentioned this, Solomon, the king, the king of Israel, son of David. And it's not all that surprising, actually that the wisest man to walk on earth wrote a book on wisdom for us to have today. And you may recall the story, as David is nearing his death, he blesses Solomon, he appoints him as the next king, he prays over him, and after Solomon is anointed king, he, and receives the kingdom, God appears to Solomon in a dream and says, I'm gonna give you what, what, one request, what would you want? So I get this in 1 Kings 3.9. Here's what Solomon asks for. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern your great people? And God responds in 1 Kings 3.12 with this. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. And I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no, king, no other king shall compare with you all your days. And here's a condition God gives. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. But as readers on this side of the story of Solomon, we feel this tension, don't we? We know that Solomon's life didn't end with him worshiping God fully or following God's statutes completely like his father David. And why is this important to recap? We see an important warning here in the beginning of the book of Proverbs. Not even the most wise man to walk the face of the earth is able to stay true to the path of wisdom of his own accord. We cannot do it on our own. We need something, someone greater than us to help us to walk in the way of wisdom. It's also an important clue for the people of God. They were looking to the son of David to establish a kingdom forever, 
And so when the kingdom splits after Solomon, that reign doesn't last forever, it begins to put a yearning inside the people of God for this forever ruler that will one day rule in perfect wisdom. And Solomon is not that hope for ruling, reigning royal son, but we look for that one who can and will and does perfectly embody wisdom. I like how Dr. Jason DeRoshi, he was one of our former elders here, he puts this in this way. Proverbs heightens, Proverbs heightens our hope for the messianic son whose life would perfectly exemplify God's character and by this enable him to serve as the agent of blessing to the world, hearkening back to the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 22. So Proverbs is written by the son of David, pointing us to the ultimate son of God, Jesus. But what's the aim of the book? We're going to go ahead and read, actually, can someone of you read verses 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 1? Yep, four was good. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Look at the words with me that describe what is sought or obtained by the reader of Proverbs and pointing us to the aim. Wisdom, instruction, words of insight, instruction again, wise dealing, prudence, knowledge, and discretion. And yet, if I'm being honest, this version is a little stiff to read to understand the aim of Proverbs. I find the New Living Translation, really helpful here and resonates with our ordinary way of speaking. And it goes like this, starting in verse two. Their purpose, these Proverbs from Solomon, is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. And then I like how the Christian Standard Bible renders verse 4, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. To key on verse 2, the purpose of Proverbs is to teach people wisdom and discipline through the words of the wise, to live disciplined, skillful, and successful lives, to know the substance of wisdom, moral acumen, and through the personification of wisdom as a lady, avoiding the dangers and pitfalls of folly. I'd also quickly point out that this learning includes a humble posture from the learner that says, I need wisdom, and I am wanting to accept that need for growth and accept a gift of wisdom. And that points to the other side of the equation. There's a teacher that's willing and gracious to give that knowledge, that wisdom, that instruction. And this wisdom has a specific end. It's not just to live a successful or um, skillful life, disciplined life, it has righteousness in mind and justice and fairness as well. But who is the learner that receives through these words? It's the simple and experienced, which would qualify all of us at some level, but can I have someone else read verses five and six to expand the learners of scope here?
Thanks, sister. Not only do the inexperienced or the young, uncommitted, simple ones have a chance to grow in wisdom, even wise and discerning can obtain or get with effort more wisdom. And I love how Moses, who I would say is a pretty wise, discerning, understanding man of God, models asking for a heart of wisdom in Psalm 90, verse 12. And I wonder if this is maybe where Solomon saw this example from a previous leader of God's people. Here's what Psalm 90, verse 12 says. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I'll read verse 14 as well. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. We should read this and find ourselves to see that Proverbs is written for all the children of God, to, including us, the church, that we may increase in wisdom, understanding, and character. We haven't quite defined wisdom specifically yet, so let me give you my working definition. It's a working one. It might change, but for now, here's what I have. To live skillfully and successfully, to know how God has wired the world. To live skillfully and successfully, to know how God has wired the world. One commentator builds this out helpfully, I think, by saying this. In Proverbs, wisdom mainly denotes the skill to navigate through the maze of life so that one conducts their life to the greatest benefit of themselves and the community. It's the way of eternal life. So what do we know so far? We know that the book, the source is from Solomon, and we know it instructs the simple, the, the young, and the wise alike to live skillfully in this world as God designed. It's, it's kind of like we have our gear on. I like outdoor adventures, especially with my family, and we're ready for a hike in the forest. We have our pack on, we have our walking stick in hand, and we look at each other because we see two paths ahead of us, and we say, oh, where do we begin? What is the right path to wisdom? They're both well-trodden. Verse 7 tells us the beginning of the true path, and I'll read this one for us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. To read this quite literally would be, the fear of I am is the beginning of knowledge. Does that ring any bells from something we've heard before or studied Maybe in Exodus, we heard about I am, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. This quest of wisdom for us starts with the fear of Yahweh, and it's not engaged by fools. Fools will not do it. This is the key to understanding Proverbs. And this fear of I am is a, a single idea. I'm using brackets, like I'm trying to capture it into one idea. It can't be broken down into, let me understand I am, the covenant name of God. That's true. But then we can't also go and study fear and try to say, okay, fear and I am, let's go together. This fear of I am, this key to understanding Proverbs is one idea. And here's my attempt to summarize what the fear of I am is. Submitting to God's revealed will in scripture and walking in it faithfully. Submitting to God's revealed will in scripture and walking in it faithfully. So what is the key to understanding Proverbs? This is, the submitting to God's revealed will in Scripture and walking in it faithfully. What the alphabet is to reading, writes one pastor, what notes are to music and numerals are to mathematics, the fear of I am is, gaining, is to gaining the book's wisdom and instruction. And in case this is still 
a little bit hard to grasp reading two through four with understanding seven. Here's how Ray Ortland, again, the pastor in Nashville, summarizes the fear of the Lord. I think it's just really helpful. So let me read you this list. The fear of the Lord is openness to him, eagerness to please him. The fear of the Lord is humility to be instructed by him, Proverbs 15, 33. A willingness to turn from evil and change, Job 28, 28. It's a surrender to his will, like in Genesis 22, 12. It is one way we love him, Deuteronomy 6, 2, and 5. The fear of Christ is meekly fitting in with one another from Ephesians 5, 21. And the fear of the Lord is when we realize we're not the one that gets to measure everything in the world. We're the one that is being measured by God. And it takes us to that place of maturity where no one has to follow us with the checklist of things to do or don't do. In fact, we are motivated deep within to know what is right, and it is, it becomes what we love because it is of God. So this fear of I am is to surrender our desires, it is to abstain from the pressure to live in earthly wisdom, to abandon the way of fools, and to trust that God is faithful to accomplish all things for his glory and our joy. Now, with the understanding that Proverbs is written to instruct us to live skillfully as God has designed, we can begin to consider how this relates to our story today. So let's explore our story. This is point two on your handout. And I started our time talking about this Choose Your Path Adventure book as a guide to me to make good decisions. And our story, plotted in the context of a Choose Your Path Adventure, with the lens of Proverbs in mind, would look something like this. Who is the character? It is we, the children of God. But we have a problem. Our problem is we are simple. We are in need of wisdom and knowledge and Jesus to navigate through this life. The guide to this, through this problem, is the book of Proverbs. Rooted in the knowledge and the fear of I am. Success in this journey, this choose-your-path adventure, is actually pretty similar to these fictional books. Either you choose the way of wisdom and conquer evil and live forever with joy in Jesus, or failure in this choose-your-path adventure is to choose the way of folly and you are destroyed. And the reward for following folly is, again, forever and its separation from God. And the story and the paths before us are most clearly demonstrated in Proverbs 9. And Dr. Hansen, Brian Hansen, did a wonderful sermon just on Sunday on Proverbs 9. So I'd commend that to you, but I want to recap it here because these two paths are often called Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 9, chapter 9 of Proverbs. I'm going to pick up in verse 10 for the path of Lady Wisdom, and then we'll read the path of Lady Folly. I'll make a couple comments and we'll move on. The path of Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord, same phrase, the fear of I am is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, wisdom is saying, for by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. The path of Lady Folly in Proverbs 9.13. The woman folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat at the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But 
He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depth of Sheol. A couple of quick comments contrasting these two outcomes of the path before us. See how the way of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. There are rewards for choosing the way of the Lord, the challenging narrow path. Days be multiplied. And I read this with eternity in mind of walking with Jesus forever in heaven with him. But what a folly. She knows nothing. She's built nothing. She calls out to the simple and wins him over, them over with her lies. And eternity away from God is her reward. And then it hit me as I was reading this, there is no third way. There's no, let me just wait and see if there's a better option that's going to come out. There are these two options, and these two options only, wisdom and folly. I like how D.A. Carson points to this in a very helpful way. The wise always keep in mind the consequences of their actions, either life or death. There is no third way. The wise live righteously in God's world and living in God's design. The fools live wickedly, choosing the way of the world and of ease. So the right answer before us in all of our journeys in this choose your adventure path is easy to decide, right? No, at least it's not for me. Reality is a lot harder than just reading on paper. And it's often, though, easy to call it out in a friend or a family member or even a church member. I don't think you're walking in wisdom. I think that's the way of folly. But for some reason, it's a lot harder for ourselves. No amount of research or reading or talking or even counsel can make us walk in the way of the wise, the righteous path. We are running back and forth between these two options all the time. And while it's obvious, we ourselves are complicated. Why are we so complicated? We're complicated because we're humans. And in a post-fall world, after the fall in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3 world that we live in, it's easy, it's enticing to choose the way of folly. Rather than saying what folly is just the opposite of wisdom, let me give you my working definition to drive us deeper into why folly is easy and enticing. Folly is declaring my own desires greater than God's commands. Folly is declaring my own desires greater than God's commands. And what this allows me to do when I declare my own desires greater than God's commands is allows me to take the easy way, the self-fulfilling, self-hedonistic way, disadvantaging those around me to give me what I want, which is what I desire, which is in my flesh. And this is opposite of the one who is wise. They would lay down their desires. They would follow God's commands in order to bless the community. And here's a few examples of what folly might look like in Proverbs that we'll explore in the coming weeks. The foolish ones are greedy, in Proverbs 10.3, 21.10. They are violent, 10.6. They threaten innocent life in 12.6 and 24.15. They practice deceit in 12.5. They are cruel in 12.10. They speak perversely in 10.32, 11, 11, 15.28, 19.28. I'll stop there. And I am detest them, the ones who walk in the way of folly and their ways. So remember how fools won't fear I am? The one on the path of folly, a simple one, following the way of foolishness, is repulsed. It's not attuned, their desires aren't attuned to what the knowledge and the pursuit of God. Instead, they seek to rid themselves of it 
And you might remember this proverb, 2611. They double down on folly as a dog returns to its vomit. That's a gross picture. And it makes me say, it's easy to say no to folly. But what does it mean to turn to the only other choice, to wisdom? If it, and here are some of the marks of what wisdom is. And I think James helpfully writes on this in James chapter 3, verse 17, giving us this picture of what wisdom would be like from above. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So even as we see the dangers of folly, even as our mind is convinced of wisdom, we need more than Proverbs of the son of David to make us wise. I read that list in 317, and there is not a part of my sinful fleshly self that desires to do that or even can do that. We need someone, the true and better son of David, to embody wisdom and give us that gift. And I think that's what James has in mind in James 1.5. We can ask God to give us this wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, James writes, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So when we ask for wisdom to walk in that, we're not just asking for more knowledge or more instruction. We're actually asking God, for more of Jesus and the fruit born in our lives to walk in wisdom. So what does it look like to choose the way of wisdom in King Jesus? All this last year in women's Bible study, we, I'll say we because it was in my ears, we were looking to see Jesus as precious, foretold in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament. And this summer, we get to add a layer to that unparalleled preciousness of Jesus as seeing Jesus as the ultimate wise one today in all of these topics and indeed is the embodiment of God's wisdom present before the world began. Here are a few places to consider Christ as wisdom. Christ's wisdom is shown in his teaching greater than Solomon's and demonstrated by his deeds of power in Matthew 11, 12, and 13. The gospel message, the good news is the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 2. And div divine wisdom is derived from the creator who previously hidden the plan of salvation that became reality through the cross of Christ. And Christ is the wisdom of God who stands against the folly of human speculations and who through the victory on the cross becomes our wisdom. Actually, let's read a couple of these that Paul writes about in Colossians and 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> so, if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and turn to Colossians 2, 2 through 3. And this is a headline verse for our study this summer. Colossians 2, 2 through 3. That, I'll let you turn there. That their hearts, you all, us, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 25. But we preach Christ crucified, that's the good news, which is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Paul writes, 
Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Ultimately, in this choose your path story, Christ himself is the hero of the story, not us. There's nothing that we can do to choose the right path. But Jesus is living in perfect, he lived the perfect life and wisdom and righteousness, laying down his desires to benefit us, the simple, the foolish, the ones filled with sin like you and me. He redeems us and then gives us this desire the ability and the perseverance to walk in true wisdom and righteousness. And praise God for that. We don't come to Proverbs only for wisdom. We come to Proverbs to have God. And then in his grace, he gives us good gifts, including wisdom. There's a miracle that happens inside of us. God grants us to ask for wisdom, changes our desires, and then gives us the desires that we need. I like how John Piper summarizes this miracle working in us like this. When the author of Proverbs cries out for wisdom in chapter 2, and when the New Testament saints cry out for wisdom in Colossians 1.9, we are all depending on divine mercy, which we do not deserve. If we get it, it's because Jesus bought it and God gave it to us. We value Solomon's ancient wisdom, and we don't study Proverbs as a substitute for the person and work of Christ. We should instead, and we will throughout this summer, come to Proverbs recognizing we now live for King Jesus, the greater than Solomon, son of David. And with Jesus, he brings us this gift and his words and his ways and his spirit within us work in us to live wisely, righteously, as God has designed So today, if you're here and not trusting in the finished work of Christ, listen to the voice of Jesus personified through Lady Wisdom to turn from your simple ways, seeking what's of earth, and trust in the perfect life of Christ who paid for the penalty of sin and foolishness for you and now having power over sin and death freely gives his righteousness through trusting in him. I or Beth or Pam or anyone at your table would love to keep talking to you about this. And today, for those who are trusting in all of God's promises fulfilled in Jesus, including wisdom and eternal life, I have three calls to action for you today in your choose adventure wisdom toward, or choose your adventure towards wisdom. First, rest. Rest knowing that Jesus covers our sin, our foolishness, and gives us this heart that desires to be satisfied in his love and walk in wisdom. Rest. Second, ask. Out of that rest and identity in Christ, ask for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Step forward to work hard to study this book with those at your table, and that's gonna look different for each of us in different seasons. But ask for wisdom and faithfully step forward in learning wisdom in this summer study. What a sweet gift to open God's word with sisters around a table. Rest, ask, finally, praise God. Praise God. In question three today, in your discussion book, I ask, in what ways have you experienced God's reward or blessing for following the path of wisdom? And what I would say is come back to what you answer in that throughout the summer as reminders of what you have what God how God has been faithful to you when you choose the way of wisdom 
So rest in your identity in God. Ask for wisdom today and throughout the summer and after that. And then P, praise God. Rest, ask, and praise God. And I guess we could say that's a wrap. Let's pray and then we'll move to our next activity. Jesus, you are the one who perfectly embodies wisdom. You live skillfully and successfully in all of life. You lived perfectly. And then you chose to lay down your life as a ransom for those like us who are foolish and sinful and can't do anything to change that. We praise you for that gift. And I ask now that you would continue to let us be good stewards of this gift you give us, that we would treasure you in all of our life as we look to study wisdom, to get a heart of wisdom. So would you do that and satisfy us in your steadfast love? I pray now for these sisters as they gather in these tables to discuss Proverbs and the way of wisdom and how they want to grow and how you have worked in their lives to date. Would you give them candor and connection, unity, encourage them where they look to your son, Jesus, and find rest and wisdom and opportunity to worship you. And we pray this all in that beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.